Hello, this is Dr. BJ Roca, and this is the Cairo Union Podcast. Today, I wanted to talk about uh, the marketing gurus and all these um, different uh, companies that are out there targeting chiropractors. I, I had an opportunity to, to meet with a couple different chiropractors over the past couple of weeks and uh, just discuss with them uh, you know, what struggles they were facing in practice. Uh, they had reached out to me as a result of some of the posts on social media and some of the information I'd shared in this podcast. And they were a little confused and they wanted to get some answers and they wanted to talk to me about it. So I was glad to take the time to uh, sit down and talk with them. And, you know, th- there was some commonalities between the two different people that I spoke with. They're in different parts of the nation. Both of them have been practiced for a number of years, but both of them are having a lot of anxiety and stress as a result of the extreme amount of high debt that they encounter by going to school and attempting to open up their own practice. Some of them had tried to subsidize their income with jobs, which they found actually limited their income because of the earning potential in most chiropractic associate positions is very limited and then it takes time away from their practice so then they wind up losing money in practice and they wind up losing more money in practice than they actually wind up earning on their job which I have off for many years have claimed that the associate positions that are available in the chiropractic profession are predatory in nature at least the majority of them are I mean obviously there are some uh, that are good opportunities for people. You know, there's opportunities at the VA that are fantastic opportunities. There's positions in schools and universities that are great opportunities. And there's even a few chiropractors out there that offer uh, promising opportunities to new graduates and associate positions that are wonderful. But unfortunately, they're few and far between when compared to the overwhelming majority of predatory associate positions that are out there. And then bo- and both of these folks, after they had opened up their practice, they had gotten going they were struggling they were stressed they were they were having a lot of anxiety they logically in my opinion they had every right to think so that they needed to establish income in order to supplement their debt pay their debt pay their bills enjoy their life Uh, but unfortunately it wasn't as straightforward as they had thought and uh, they wound up in positions that wound up costing them more money uh, than if they had simply just stayed uh, at their practice and continued to build their practice And uh, one of them even described the opportunity that they sought employment for uh, as a disability mill and that they were kind of working in the gray area of the law. He thought it was strange that uh, relatively quick they had him signing a number of documents and he was taking on quite a lot of liability as a um, rendering provider. And just didn't feel all that comfortable with uh, with everything that was being prescribed and was being described uh, that with everything that was being described, and just felt that it was that the patient care wasn't necessarily what was motivating the practice policy and procedure, but income was what was motivating the practice policy and procedure. And really, whenever that's the case, you're in you're you're in the area you're in the gray area of the law because you always should be acting in the best interest of the patient. You have a, a responsibility to always be acting in the best interest of the patient, not being financially motivated and signing papers or coming up with care plans or doing things strictly for a financial reason. And it seemed that everybody was getting the same treatment. The government was getting the same bills. And it just felt like it was a matter of time before the practice eventually would be investigated and that some of these questionable practices would be um, need to be explained. And he didn't really want his name associated with it. But the, you know, the anxiety that you've 
you suffer when you're opening up a practice is is not uncommon. You know, it's it's going to come with any new business. Anytime you're going to be opening up a new business, there's going to be a period of time in which there's not going there's going to be a very limited amount of income. It's going to be very difficult, it's going to be very stressful. There's going to be a, a lot of things that are not going to be anticipated that that will further delay income or make things even more expensive than you had originally thought. But that's the nature of of being an entrepreneur. You have to be able to roll with the punches. You need to be able to expect the unexpected. And in that you you have no idea what the delays may be. You have no idea what things uh, may or may not cost money or how much exactly they will cost. But so you have to plan on uh, it's going to cost more than you think. And I use this analogy when I'm working, when whenever I'm working with a car, used cars, because I love cars, right? So if I'm out there shopping for a car and I'm looking for a car and I'm looking at it and I'm inspecting it, how much work do I think that this car is going to require? Well, I give myself an honest appraisal and I think, okay, this is going to require, let's say, 10 hours of labor in order to get this car working. Well, I immediately double it. So if I honestly believe in my assessment it's going to take 10 hours, well, I just assume it's going to take 20 hours. Now, if it, let's say I'm, I'm going through and I think, okay, well, I'm going to need $1,000 in parts or I'm going to need $100 in parts. Well, I triple that number. So if I think it's going to be $1,000, I immediately budget $3,000 and then you know, now I'm dealing with twice as much time and three times as much money as I honestly think it will take. And then even then, uh, I sometimes, uh, you know, my S, I do not come in under budget or ahead of schedule because things just get delayed and sometimes things cost more than you think. And it can be frustrating and it can add a lot of anxiety, particularly when your, your livelihood depends upon the success of the business. And even if you budget twice as much time and three times as much money as you feel it will take in order to open up your practice, there are still things that will occur that will be more expensive and take more time that you could not possibly have imagined ahead of time. And that these marketers and these businesses, these gurus, these people that are out there, the, that are, they are seeking you out. They are t- targeting people that are under stress. They're using language that speaks directly to those that are struggling and that are suffering from that anxiety and they feed on that anxiety and they do everything they can to make you feel more anxious and that you need them. And if you don't give them money, that you will just continue on this path to failure. And that's not the case at all. And a few of these things, I, I, I really, I don't want to mention names, but I know, I mean, these are, these are very common names in the industry. These are people that I went to school with. These are people that I know that have not been successful in practice. They could not practice successfully, but now they have somewhat of a large following on social media and they, they have this imaginary success that they've claim to have had that they're now going to sell you when in reality they've never had success the most success they have had is in scamming other chiropractors that's where their success has been found and that's why they're doing it and that was when some of these pitches were were explained to me because both of these people had been to multiple coaches and multiple gurus and they had tried multiple programs and they were still frustrated and they were that's why and they didn't understand why they 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 still felt that they needed help they needed a coach and that's why they reached out to me. But these coaches were offering some incredibly detrimental advice. They were putting these people in extremely difficult situations. They were not acting with any consideration for the success of the individual or their business. So, I mean, like I said, I hate to go into, into names, but I know specific, you know, of the ones that we discussed in some detail, 
the chiro- the actual chiropractors uh, I have known for a number of years, and I know for a fact we're not successful. And think about it for a second. If you are a successful chiropractor and you are making considerable living and you, by taking care of patients and you enjoy it and you're good at it, then why are you wasting your time cold calling other chiropractors and trying to pressure them into these uh, management programs or these contracts that put an unbelievable financial burden on them and a lot of money in their pocket. If they, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. That, that's, not the, that's part of the scam is that it, it's, they're convincing you of a reality that is not true. That's why it's, it's very mild. It's somewhat passive brainwashing. And the more brainwashed you get, the more time you spend with them, the more brainwashed you get and the harder it comes to see the glaring reality of the situation. So of the, of, I th- believe there was at least five different uh, management slash coaching slash complete bullshit scams that we discussed with, that I discussed in length and in detail with these chiropractors. And a couple of the things that, uh, re- that really reverberated with me as being um, an obvious flaw in their system that is selfish and detrimental to the actual business they're claiming to help. Uh, there was four main things. First, cash flow. Whenever you're operating any business, and even if it's even if you're actually working for somebody, if you're operating a household, in terms of financial principles, and I don't know if we've talked about this in the past or not, but there's three basic financial principles in order of priority. They are cash flow, liquidity, and long-term planning. Before you can have long-term planning, you have to have liquidity. In order to have liquidity, you're going to have to have cash flow. So that's those are the most critical. So cash flow is the most critical aspect of your financial planning picture. So you have to establish a healthy cash flow. Once you do that and you have a positive cash flow and it's healthy, you then need to take time and you need to build liquidity. Once you start to build enough liquidity that you're comfortable with, then you can start on your long-term planning. So it's it's in order of priority. But all of these management companies that are supposed to be helping a struggling business immediately attack and feed on cash flow. Some of them were $300 a month, then increasing to $500 a month and $700 a month. One of them was $2,000 a month. One of them started off with uh, $1,000 a month. Uh, but then had these penalties for canceling. Well, it was a $10,000 penalty if you should cancel the contract and attempt to get out of the $1,000 a month payment if you weren't receiving anything of value in return or you were uncomfortable or didn't want to continue the program. You had to pay $10,000 in order to exit the program, which I'm not sure that's completely legitimate. And obviously, it's just a scare tactic in order to prevent you from canceling. They're going to threaten you with this huge bill for nothing. That's why I'm not sure it's actually a legitimate fee that they have the ability to collect because it's for nothing. Like We don't want your service anymore. We don't want your products or services. We don't want to take any more of your time. Uh, So we're going to stop this agreement. Uh, there are, you know, restocking fees are a legitimate cancellation cost, but just a cancel, just a cancellation fee from an intangible service of ten thousand dollars. I'm not sure how legitimate or enforceable that part of an agreement or contract might be. And you, you know, that's part another. That's just to quickly uh, in terms of contracts when you're dealing with these companies. If you're caught in one of these scams, 
just because you sign a contract doesn't mean that every clause in that contract is enforceable. Further, just because one clause in the contract may not be enforceable or legitimate does not void the entire contract. That, that's, not, that's not necessarily true. I know there's somewhat of a myth out there from the movies where, you know, the guy gets up and state, you know, gets up uh, on stage or, you know, before the judge and before the jury. And they point out this one aspect of the of the contract is uh, either incorrect, made in error, uh, not legitimate, unenforceable or invalid. In reality, that usually invalidates that particular clause doesn't necessarily invalidate the entire contract as you know some of the movies or tv shows may make it seem as if you just like oh well you didn't date this contract correct correctly therefore the whole contract is null and void doesn't really work that way uh, the intent of both parties in signing the contract was still there so there's still an enforceable contract especially if there's been consideration um, meaning an exchange of goods for promises so you can still have an enforceable contract but an individual clause may be uh, null and void if it's found to be uh, irrational, irresponsible, illegal, or unenforceable. And something like a $10,000 cancellation fee, in my opinion, would f- likely fall in that category, but I'm not an attorney. And, and you know, you shouldn't be getting into contracts that would require um, an attorney or legal services in order to interpret, especially if you're in a situation where uh, cash flow. Or you know, is a problem, and you're suffering anxiety as a result of limited cash flow. So, that, again, you're having anxiety, and you have uh, these problems that are existing in your practice as a result of limited cash flow. It doesn't make any sense now enter into an agreement or contract with a coach or guru or manage or practice management company or marketing scam. That's going to further limit your cash flow. You're only going to make the problem worse. And now you have to do even more work. You have to get more results. You have to get more people in the door. You have to collect more money per visit and just to break even. So if you have a, a project manager, a, a practice manager that's costing you $1,000 a month and you only have a $30 per visit average or a $45 per visit average, you suddenly have to make... Uh, do a considerable m- amount of more work just to break even. Never mind go above and beyond. And if, in my opinion, that's an indication of how weak and ineffective the management company is. Because if you think about it, if you had a, a, an actual program that was truly successful and you could build practices, then you would, and, and you, your magic, whatever your scam bullshit is that you're pitching was actually that effective and they believed in it that much, then why not structure a payment system that benefits the cash flow of the business you're trying to help? The fact that you're completely ignoring the importance of cash flow is an indication of how ignorant they are to the true needs of building a successful business. Never mind a chiropractic business or chiropractic practice, just any business in general, you need is cash flow is of critical importance. So if you're offering a product or service that's meant to help this company and improve its cash flow, then you need to structure a payment system that is reflective of that. And you know, if you want me to believe in your product or services, then you need to believe in your services and your payment structure should reflect a belief of how effective and how beneficial your services are. 
But that's not the case. I've yet to run into any of these management companies that have a fee structure that is reflective of the fact that they truly believe that this service will actually benefit the business and build its cash flow because all of their payment structures immediately attack the business's cash flow, making it more difficult for that business to be successful. The next thing I stepped on that was another commonality between all of these uh, practice management marketing gurus was the use of keywords. There was two, or, or uh, there was one uh, practice management company that wanted the chiropractor to remove chiropractic from the name of their business. They thought that this was the key to success in changing the, 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 the mentality of the office uh, and to increase profitability was to get rid of the word chiropractic from the name of the business and to start using wellness and that it was going to be a wellness center and they were going to be selling wellness. Well, what the fuck is wellness? Because I got to tell you, uh, maybe the, you know, because again, reality, we are in the internet age. We're in the information age. More and more people are accessing the internet via smartphone versus desktop. More and more people are searching for businesses using keywords and Google Maps and Apple Maps and other navigation software compared to search engines. So this has been a growing trend for a number of years. But in all of them, even though it's, you know, we're changing the nature of internet traffic, where it's changing from desktop computer to mobile devices, and it's changing from, uh, in terms of businesses, it's changing from more browser-based, uh, website-based uh, traffic to more navigational-based traffic, both of them are keyword-based. So there's far fewer people that are seeking chiropractic care that are, gonna, that are going to use the keyword wellness in order to find a chiropractor. If I'm going to find a chiropractor, if I'm going to find a clothing store, if I'm going to find a bagel shop, if I'm going to find an ice cream stand, I'm going to put ice cream in the search box. I'm going to put chiropractor in the search box or chiropractic in the search box. I'm going to put clothing store in the search box. I'm going to use the key words and the key phrases that identify the business I'm looking for. I'm not going to read somebody's mind and assume that I want to find, you know, and I think, oh, wellness. And what is wellness? I mean, wellness, if I, if somebody's got a wellness business, that, what is that? It is nothing. It's not, there's no, there is no socially agreed upon thing that is wellness. It could be a gym. It could be Pilates. It could be massage. It could be nutrition. It could be a combination of all of those things. It could be a spa. It could be any, it could be anything. It, it, so I mean I can understand I can appreciate the diversity of the term, but that's not going to help you build your practice in this day and age. You need to be extremely identifiable, and this is evident by the uh, creation of. Uh, well, maybe it's not the creation of, but get into your get into your local you know market where you know whatever your nearest city is, and search chiropractor near me. And I think that you will find an office that is named chiropractor near me because it gives them just that much more of an advantage on the Google search and on the Apple search and the navigation search and all these other searches. It's a means of gaining a slight advantage on those key search terms. 
So they get just, maybe they just get a little bit higher some of the time because they're gaining a keyword near me. You'll also will find chiropractic offices that are now called walk-in chiropractic because people are using that as a search term. They want to find a chiropractor that allows walk-ins or takes walk-ins. So they put chiropractor walk-in or walk-in chiropractor, walk-in chiropractic. So these are becoming the names of practices. If When I was in school, before a lot of traffic was uh on mobile devices and it was more desktop based traffic you know but, you know if you go back 10 15 years uh, in the earlier days of the internet most of the traffic was desktop traffic so people weren't necessarily using these search terms and they weren't like making a very quick fast decision on who they were going to call or where they were going to go they were doing like you know quasi research and so, and they were you know, they would other terms, you wanted to have these terms built into your website. You wanted your pictures to have captions that described certain, the, 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 whose descriptions and meta tags included key terms so that the more key terms, the more likely your website was to pop up. But it's becoming less and less and less about your website and more and more and more about your local business listing that is inside navigation software that relates to particular keywords. That's why you're seeing these actual trends take place in markets all across the United States. Chiropractor near me is not something that only occurs. There's not that's not just one business that has that name in one city. I've seen this in multiple cities across the country. Same thing with uh, walk-in chiropractic and and other terms uh, that people will put, you know, uh, you know, automobile uh, accident chiropractic or uh, you know, uh, you know, personal injury chiropractic, because these are key terms that people will use when they are uh, searching for a chiropractor, and they want one that accepts personal injury insurance or bodily harm insurance or workman's comp insurance, and they will build their practice around those key terms. So obviously, if you're going to call your business walk-in chiropractic, well, you better take walk-ins, and you better have set up your business and your uh, to accommodate as many walk-ins as possible and that your business is structured to accept walk-ins and and, uh, get people in the door uh, as quickly and easily as possible. So it's just complete nonsense uh, when it came to these keywords and these key terms. And uh, some of these uh, other practice management companies, they get you in the door, they get you in the hook, they're going to help you build your chiropractic business. And then the first thing they want you to do is they want you to start doing all this stuff, generating content and building content. And uh, because they'll point to, uh, you know, we might as well say it, Josh Axe. Well, you know, this, these, some of these people have, or or other chiropractors like Josh Axe, they have uh, an education in communications or creative writing and and other uh, professional education to be uh that qualify them to create content quite readily and easily and and relatively high quality and they've been doing it for a number of years so someone looks at josh axe and they say oh he's got millions of followers he's he's doing all this stuff isn't that wonderful this is how he's subsidizing his income fantastic that's great he can teach you how to do it no he can't you know yeah he can tell you what he's doing 
But just because he's doing it doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. doesn't mean that you're going to be able to create content that's as high quality as that he creates as fast as he creates it. He's also been working at this for a number of years. So yeah, I mean, if you've got five, six, seven, eight years to invest in building an online audience, well then by all means, go ahead, start one piece at a time. And it's going to, but you're going to find it extraordinarily difficult. And the nature of the internet and the nature of building these audiences is constantly changing. So he's constantly working on building his audience and uh, you know, creating content that speaks to his audience and helps build his audience, it becomes a full-time job. Then also, if you get on Josh Axe's website and his Facebook page and you look through his content, he doesn't even indicate that he's a chiropractor or that, and most of his content has nothing to do with chiropractic, except when he's talk, uh, targeting chiropractors. And if he was so wonderful and making so much money with his online content and all his other his recipes and his other nonsense, then why is he targeting chiropractors and charging them vast sums of money to teach them how to make money on the internet? Uh, it's just like these real estate guys when you get on the late night TV and they're making millions of dollars in real estate, but they're going to send you a free book on how to make millions of dollars. Well, why? Why are you getting spending money on television and commercials in order to sell a book to teach me how to make millions of dollars in real estate when you're making millions of dollars in real estate? If you're actually making millions of dollars in real estate, well, then why don't you just enjoy life a little bit, right? You're making millions of dollars. You got all kinds of money. You don't need my money. So why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Same thing with uh, a struggling business that has a lot of it has anxiety due to a lack of cash flow. It doesn't make any sense to go ahead and limit your cash flow further, increase your overhead further by signing up for one of these coaches that charge monthly fees. It doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing with the story about the guy that's pitching you the, the scam. If they're so great and they're so wonderful and they're making so much money, then why are they wasting their evening calling you and cold, cold calling you in order to get you to sign up for some plan that's going to put hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in their pocket? I thought that they had all kinds of money and they were all kinds of busy in practice. Because I got to tell you what, when you're busy in practice five, six days a week seeing uh, not even an extreme number of people, but a modest number of people. By the time the end of the day rolls around, you're tired. You don't have a whole lot of uh, energy left to dedicate to chasing other chiropractors and pitching them on your service because you're successful and you're busy and you've got stuff to do. You've got patients to see. You know, you're going to want to take a break. You're going to want to enjoy dinner. You're going to want to have a nice evening with uh, your partner or your significant other, your family. Even if it's just by yourself, you might be want to go out. You just want to enjoy life a little bit. You have to rest. You have to enjoy the reward of working hard. So I find it very difficult to believe. And I know for a fact that at least two of these chiropractors and their scams that we discussed with their victims uh, over the past couple of weeks, they have never been a successful chiropractor. They have never found success. And that, that it was their lack of success. It was their failure as an independent practitioner, as a practice owner, that led to them starting their, their, their scam in which they were targeting other chiropractors that were experiencing anxiety and stress. So be very careful. I mean, that's always an indication to me that it's a scam is that if the language of the ad or the targeted messaging that they're using, their content that they're spreading is actually focused on or mentions stress, anxiety, failure, you know, anything like that, anything of the nature, because they're, that, that, to me, that indicates that they're targeting a person 
uh, that is experiencing those emotions and they're reinforcing those emotions and they're feeding upon those emotions. I've said it before and I'll, I'll continue to say it again. There is a healthy amount of anxiety and paranoia in operating a business. If you, you need to be worried about where the next uh, check is coming from. You need to be doing the best possible job that you can every single time. And it's a healthy paranoia and a healthy level of anxiety that motivates you to do the best possible job you can to make sure that you're constantly doing the right thing. That when something, if someone is not 100% satisfied or they don't get the expected results or whatever the case may be, that you don't charge that person, regardless of how much anxiety you have, because it's the right thing to do. If it's, if that if that situation ever arises, that that situation arose with me recently. There was a patient that had uh, a rib head out. Uh, we went through the physical exam. We went through everything. I was fairly confident it was a rib head. I'm certain it was a rib head. Did a rib head adjustment. Rib head went right in. You could feel a, a tremendous reduction in tension. You could feel where the rib ha- had gone back into place. There was no longer this swelling. There was no longer this raised area in the rib cage. And in my opinion, I was expecting the patient to have incredible relief. Instead, they uh, reported that they had uh, extreme pain, uh, that there was no real change in symptoms. I mean, they were in extreme pain when they walked in the door. Uh, so they were still in extreme pain. We didn't make anything any worse. Uh, but they didn't. They were not reporting the benefit that I was anticipating and I had expected. They did not. Their uh, response was not what I was expecting. We scheduled a follow-up visit, and again, uh, very. You know, the same thing occurred. They had similar findings, although not as severe as far in terms of objective findings. The adjustment went very well. Very low force, very low pressure, uh, but the the rib heads uh, the second time really seemed to even set better than the first time. Again, I was expecting a wonderful uh, response, uh, the patient to report a reduction in symptoms, a change in symptoms, but they didn't. So I said, well, this might be something else. There may be something else going on. Sent them to primary. Primary did x-rays. X-rays came back negative. There was no reason to believe that anything had uh, there was this was an unexplained pain uh, that the medical doctor couldn't explain. I couldn't explain. I explained it via rib head, but after having adjusted the rib head twice, was not getting the results. And I didn't charge him for the second visit because it they it wasn't meeting my expectations. It wasn't meeting their expectations. The reason they're coming in is to relieve the symptoms. And given the patient's response, given the patient, you know, the the nature of the visit. I just didn't feel comfortable taking the person's money, uh, so I didn't. Um, and sometimes that that's what you have to do. Uh, same thing with with anything. You just constantly have to be doing the right thing. But it, and it, you do that out of a healthy paranoia, out of a healthy uh, level of anxiety, so that you you are worried about the future. You are worried about cash flow and liquidity and long term planning. So sometimes uh, doing the right thing. Uh, can be can deliver benefits down the road because you know what this guy didn't do he didn't put a nasty review on google right he didn't put any review on google uh he didn't put any review anywhere 
uh, because, because maybe he wasn't 100% satisfied with the service, but he didn't have to pay for it. So he didn't feel any need to be like, oh, geez, you know, here I am paying all this money and I'm not getting the results. That's when somebody's going to say, you know what, I should say something. I should post a review. I should get out there and actually let other people know that you might not get the results you're expecting, but you will get a substantial bill and you'll have to pay that bill uh, regardless of the experience that you have with the chiropractor. So I made it. Uh, I headed off at the pass. I don't want a negative review. I don't want anybody to leave here with a negative feeling. I did the best that I could. And you know what? As wonderful as chiropractic is, as great as a chiropractor I think I am, I'm not always going to get a a miracle response. I'm not always going to get immediate resolution of symptoms. I'm not going to be the best fit for every single patient. And when that's the case, the least I can do is just extend them the courtesy of a free adjustment because uh, I don't want them to have ill will. I don't want them to have remorse for having come to my office. Uh, So even if it's not the greatest experience of of their lifetime in terms of a chiropractic adjustment, they they won't have any uh, ill will. They won't feel the need to badmouth or uh, post a negative review or even discourage others from coming into my office because even though I was unable to help them to the level of the, to, to meet their expectations or meet my expectations, uh, at the very least, I was able to do uh, something nice and uh, take uh, some account to be to be take self responsibility, self accountability, uh, and uh, you know if you're not getting uh, the results that you're expecting, then. Uh, I don't want you to pay for this visit because really they're not paying for the adjustment, right? They're paying for the result of the adjustment. So if your adjustment doesn't have the desired result, maybe they shouldn't pay for it. And that's not in every case, not every time, but some cases, sometimes depending on the the patient, depending on the scenario, um, you know, maybe that's the, the situation that's needed. And especially when I'm sending the patient to another healthcare provider in order to further investigate the complaint, because now he's going to have another co-payment. So he had to pay me, and now he's going to turn around and pay another doctor. So I, you know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable taking the man's money, so I didn't. Uh, but that, that's not born out. That's born out of uh, a true desire to serve the patient to the best of my ability and um, a healthy level of anxiety and paranoia that... I need to do everything possible to make them as happy as possible, even if my adjustment didn't deliver, didn't meet their expectations or deliver the expected results. Uh, so that way that they do not uh, feel the need or desire to post a negative review or or, or share, uh, you know, their, a negative experience with anybody about my office. So it, that's that's born of a healthy skepticism or a healthy paranoia. Uh, some another thing that uh, was another common thread with almost all of these uh, scams that these chiropractors had signed up for and tried were scripts. And you know, this is a little bit of a uh, there's a little complexity, there's a little nuance to scripts. So scripts are terrible. You know, the, the idea that you are going to say the same thing to everybody that calls your office is a, is a terrible idea. The, the idea that you're going to somehow say the same thing every time you uh, go over x-rays or go over findings with a patient is a terrible idea. 
because they, they they'll be able to tell. And you know this is a fact because if you get on the phone and you're talking to somebody, you know damn well when they're reading from a script. Even if they're doing a great job of reading from a script, you know full well when somebody's reading from a script or they're rehearsing or they're they're reciting a rehearsed dialogue to you. You can, you can tell. It's a rehearsed dialogue. It's disconnected. It's not personal. It's not meaningful. And it's a terrible idea. You should never do it. Now, that does it. But at the same time, like I said, there's nuance. Because I do repeat myself a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that I say on a fairly regular basis that I've said to many patients. So could it be described as a script? Maybe. I mean, there, but there's definitely uh, some nuance to it. It's, uh, and it's a script that's developed over time. Uh, and it's something that I feel comfortable saying and it change, and it does change. It just has small changes. Uh, but one of the things that I say on a very regular basis, uh, you know, has to do with like the phases of care because I'm a firm believer in the phases of care. So I, but I change it, uh, and personalize it with every patient. So just to give you a quick review, the phases of care, something that I would say to, uh, uh, to just about any patient would be. Uh, when they talk about you know uh, how many visits or how long or what kind of care they're going to be under, I explain to them that there's three phases of care. The first being acute care. Right now you're in the office and you saw office because you had this complaint, right? You had because you have neck pain, right? You have low back pain. You have migraines, right? So that's why you're seeking care. So I mean, so I immediately relate it to them. So uh, right off the bat. And I point out what their acute symptoms are. Okay, so that the first phase of care is the acute phase, which is where we're going to address the symptoms. And I point out and address the symptoms that they're experiencing and remind them of all the symptoms they told me about. The first phase of care is dedicated to resolving these symptoms and making, you know, and then again, relating, and then how we're going to resolve the symptoms, relate it directly to the patient. Once we've resolved the symptoms, you will then proceed or graduate. What, again, depending on the patient, it will determine what word I use. But then you will move into the second phase of care, which is corrective care. This means that you won't have any pain or symptoms uh, as related that you, you'll, your headaches will have dissipated. They'll have gone away or they'll be a lot better. Your neck pain or your back pain will have gone away. You'll feel a lot better. But the problem that led to the pain will still be there. And that's when you're going to move into corrective care. And that's where we're going to start with therapeutic exercises or stretching or, again, directly relate it to the patient and their needs and their goals because you determine what their goals are uh, prior to, you know, as part of your physical examination or your your health history. And you let them know uh, that that's when you're going to actually work on correcting the problem that resulted in their symptoms, right? This does a, this does a number of things. One, because everybody's had those patients where they come in, symptoms go away, they stop coming in. Symptoms come back, patient comes back. Patients, uh, the patient improves, symptoms go away, patient goes away. Month, two months, three months later, symptoms come back, patient comes back. And you get on this cycle, improvement, uh, improvement, and then... Uh, waxing or a, a waxing and waning. It gets better. It gets worse. It gets better. It gets worse. It gets better. It gets worse. And you can still re- remind them of this. You know, if, so you've already addressed this. That once symptoms have gone away, that's when you start the second phase of care. That's when you try to correct the problem that led to the symptoms, right? And then you can explain how you know how that may relate to that. That will relate how corrective care will relate to them specifically. 
Maybe it's just simply continued chiropractic care to restore curve, right? Because based upon your findings, this individual patient has uh, a lack of cervical curve or uh, a lack of lumbar curve. And, you know, you're going to, you may need to make changes at their workstation. They may need to make changes at their home life. They may need to, there's going to be, it may be, it may be strictly chiropractic adjustments or maybe more than chiropractic adjustments, depending on your style of practice and what the uh, patient is suffering from and what their goals are. But you should definitely relate whatever you're saying directly to that patient. And then once you've corrected the problem, that's when you'll enter the third phase or graduate to the third phase. I like to use terms like graduate or promote uh, because it's, uh, um, it's, again, it's goal setting and you're using neuro-linguistics in order to set these goals for these people uh, or help them establish these goals in their mind so that they look forward to the day when their symptoms are gone and they can start corrective care. And then once they've started corrective care, they're looking forward to the day that they can graduate to wellness care in which they uh, are looking for uh, a number of different uh, solutions. So again, you know, you start off with acute care, then you move into corrective care and finally uh, wellness care. So this is uh, the manner in which, uh, you know, that, that's a script. It's not, I don't want to say it's a script, uh, because it's so personal to each individual patient, but it is a standard, it, it is a script in the sense that uh, I'm going to use that uh, formula uh, for for most patients. Very rarely will I not will I you know not use that pa- not not use that format or that formula to uh, address a patient's questions, concerns, or explain to them the scope of the care plan. That said. There are other formats uh, or other times uh, that I may not use it at all. Like I said, they may be few and far between, but uh, you know, if the patient doesn't have acute symptoms when they come in to seek care, well, then they're not going to be under, uh, uh, they're not going to fit that criteria. They're not going to fall into that category. So then I don't bother, uh, especially if that's not their goal. Right, and that, that happens quite frequently. Right? Now that I'm thinking about it, because I, you know, I had a couple new patients uh, yesterday. And one of them was uh, a traveling uh, person. You know, he traveled for work. So he's just passing through town and he passes through town three or four times a year. So, I mean, there's no real sense in me, uh, you know, explaining the phases of care to him and, and you know, and, and uh, trying to establish uh, these goals with the patient because they are not going to be here. They're not even going to be in the region. Uh, but if I do a good job, which is, you know, they, they had a wonderful experience. Uh, they, they, they made it clear that they will be back uh, the next time they are in town. But that's not going to be for three or four months because they're coming from here to another city, to another city, to another city. Then they'll be home for a while and then they start the whole process over again. And, uh, you know, next time they're in town, that's when they'll come in for an adjustment. So the script doesn't apply. And that's the problem with scripts is if you're going to be applying them too broadly is that if you rely too heavily upon scripts or someone else telling you what to say and how to say it, when to say it, it's not going to be effective because the individual, you need to listen to them. You need to have a good bedside manner. You need to establish a care plan and establish a rapport with them. And you do that by listening to them actively uh, or actively listening to them, however you want to call it, 
and then responding to them as an individual, uh, not as a script. So while I have a rough outline of how I may address the phases of care, uh, each time I talk about the phases of care, I relate it directly to the patient. So that's, you know, that's why I talk about the nuance of scripts, uh, because you, you should have an idea of what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, but not necessarily uh, have a verbatim dialogue that you're going to rehearse or role play in order to, uh, you know, to, in order to care for patients. It just, just doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. Um, Especially, you know, and especially in terms of appointment setting, you know, that's another thing is that, you know, a lot of people will call in. Oh, do you take this? That's probably the most common question when people call in uh, and you may need to get your CA. You know, they may have a little bit of a script that they have to follow. But again, it's, uh, you know, do you take uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield? Well, you know, there's the, the canned answer to that question. And I'll, sometimes if I'm giving someone a canned answer, I'll even let them know. Uh, that and I'll qualify it as such because it'll sound rehearsed. So if you're going to say something that sounds rehearsed or that you say repeatedly, uh, then you might as well let them know. Say, well, typically I answer that question by pointing out that Blue Cross Blue Shield has a variety of different plan options, and there's deductibles, co-payments, co-insurances, and there's just really no way that I can give you a definitive answer on what exactly your benefits are until we have an opportunity to verify and, exp- and get an explanation of benefits from your insurance company. We'd be happy to do that with you on your first visit. Is there a particular day or time that works good for you? Right, so that sounds very rehearsed and scripted, and it is, uh, because but that's been developed over time, uh, because uh, you know that's I've I've fallen for the oh yeah sure you know this is really easy. oh yeah we're in network with them just come on in we'll we'll get you all set up but then you get the person there you go you know you, you go through the whole thing uh, you get all the information you, you know you have your CA verify and do all that stuff later on right, instead of before the visit come to find out they have a high deductible plan they've got uh, co-payments co-insurances and everything else and uh, there's you know you're going to get paid nothing uh, and you didn't collect nearly enough money uh, for the to cover the patient's responsibility while they were there, uh, because you just uh, acted on, uh, you know, you were just kind of acted abruptly, and you told the patient what they wanted to hear, which is easy to do. You know, the patient wants to hear, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem." That's that's what they're hoping you're going to say, and you know that, so it makes sense that you want to say that. But we, you also, you know, with time, you'll learn that. Um, just telling the patient what they want to hear isn't always the best thing to say and that you need to set uh, expectations. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in setting expectations or, or you know, the saying is under promise over deliver. So set the expectations for, you know, relatively low and then exceed them by far. So that way the patient is impressed uh, uh, by you and by your office policy and procedure and you go above and beyond their expectations because you set kind of relatively low expectations. And it winds up working out very well and it helps build rapport with the patient to where you become their chiropractor. You know, they don't necessarily out there next time. They're not going to search for a chiropractor. They're going to search for you because you're their chiropractor. Or they're just going to pull your card out of their pocket or they're going to look at the magnet on the fridge and they're just going to 
call you to schedule an appointment and their, their search for a chiropractor is over because they've established a, a relationship with a chiropractor that they like. So they'll continue to go see that chiropractor. And that's, that's how you build a practice, a referral-based practice. Just, just this morning, just today, I had a phone call. Uh, it was a phone call yesterday, and I actually told the person, uh, no, this is not going to be a good fit. They explained their health history. They explained what they were dealing with. They explained what their goals were, and they wanted to know if I could help them, and I said, no. You know, this is just not a case for chiropractic. You know, we're talking about a person that has suffered a, a stroke, has a blocked carotid artery. They have um, you know, signs and symptoms of, um, you know, that, that they're under care for uh, a number of conditions. They're well advanced in age. Uh, they have a, a, a number of health concerns. And there's just there was two red flags uh, to, for contraindications to chiropractic care. So, again... Healthy amount of paranoia, healthy amount of anxiety. What's the right thing to do? Should I risk it? <clears throat> Should I ignore these red flags? Should I see a patient that has contraindications to chiropractic care? Or should I just be upfront and honest right off the bat and let them know that, yeah, this is probably, this is not going to be uh, a great fit. This is not, you know, I, there may be another chiropractor out there that, that may be able to help you that uses some other technique that is not contraindicated by your conditions. But I am a traditional chiropractor in the sense that I use force in order to, manip- in order to adjust the bones of the spine and uh, extremities and the joints of the body and uh, properly align them to improve function. So that, th- that's going to be contraindicated by the health conditions that you've described. So this, is, this wouldn't be a great fit. Uh, so I, I, and I thanked her, and I was like, "Well, thank you very much for calling and asking these questions. I appreciate it. You saved both of us uh, considerable <clears throat> a considerable amount of time because she uh, the this particular patient was uh, uh, from quite far away, and they had a considerable commute <clears throat> to come and visit the office. So I took the time to to address all of her questions, and I'm glad that I did. So lo and behold, that was yesterday. This morning, she calls me back. And she explains, well, my daughter, uh, she needs a chiropractor. And, uh, you know, I live with this other gentleman. He's like a roommate. He needs a chiropractor. We're going to be in town on this day anyway. It's because we we have some other commitments. So is there any way that you could see my daughter and my roommate? Because he's driving. She doesn't have a car, right? Uh, He's driving. um, And uh, they would like to see you. Well, sure. You know, there was no contraindications to them coming in for chiropractic care. These, you know, so they, but they, so I went out, so by telling one, so by acting out of a healthy skepticism, or not skepticism, but having a healthy level of anxiety, by striving to do the right thing, even when you think that it's limited your income or it's reduced your income because you've told a patient, no, this is not going to be a great fit for you. The, the universe or whatever you want to call it turns around and, and you get rewarded for doing the right thing because people, you know, people pick up on that. They know when you are not financially motivated to do whatever you can do to get every dollar that you can out of them. When you do the right thing, it's obvious when you do the right thing. I'm not following a script because any script, the goal of any script when someone calls the office is to get them in the door. 
I listen to the patient. I ask them questions. I let them talk for a few minutes. And you might, you know, as I'm talking about this, this might sound like I spent all this time on this phone with this with this woman. It really wasn't. It was a little bit longer than than your typical uh, on the phone, off the phone, uh, you know, conversation that lasts less than a minute. But I don't think I talked to her for more than three minutes. It was a relatively short conversation. Uh, but, uh, you know, by doing the right thing, by acting out of abundance of caution with a healthy amount of anxiety and a healthy amount of paranoia, uh, with a, a constant desire to always do the right thing in all ways, lo and behold, the very next day, because she told, she, she was telling her daughter this story, her roommate overheard it, and the two of them said, that sounds like the kind of chiropractor I should go see. We're going to be in town on this day. Why don't we go see him? Uh, you know, he might not be a great fit for you, but he sounds like he'd be a great fit for me. So there you go. Two new patients. Just like that. Uh, from not seeing one patient. So you never know how doing the right thing could manifest in building your practice. So that's all I have for today. I love and appreciate everybody for the opportunity to uh, share my thoughts and opinions uh, with you. Um, I'm doing a little bit of research now on chiropractic pediatrics. Hopefully the next podcast should be related to that. Uh, there's, you know, there's just an onslaught of anti-chiropractic propaganda that's coming out of Canada and Australia. It really started with a, a video in Australia that we've talked about in the past, but the uh, consequences of that video continue to unfold and it's spread across the globe. We're in a global economy. We're in a global media. Uh, you know, the world is becoming more and more connected. And when the media publishes a news story in uh, Mexico or Australia or Canada, everybody has the same access to it, particularly in the English-speaking nations, such as Australia, the UK, and all these other places. So when a news story comes out and it starts to gain steam, uh, they're going to sensationalize it as much as possible because they're not interested in strictly speaking to their local community. They're speaking to a global community. And the parents of children all across America have the same access to these Australian news articles and these Canadian news articles as, Canadian, as anybody else. Everybody can access this information. It's all in English. Anybody can read it. Uh, you know, a lot of these, I was been reading some stuff that's come out of India, uh, which is published in English, uh, even though uh, that's not uh, necessarily the primary language of India. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've never been to India. Couldn't tell you. But there's a lot of chiropractic news coming out of India over the past couple of weeks. And there's, you know, this, this, um, these stories with uh, chiropractic pediatrics and the anti-chiropractic propaganda that's been going out about chiropractic ped pediatrics feel like it's been going on for at least two years now. Uh, and it's only gained steam. People have lost their licenses. There's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a growing uh, movement that is uh, limiting the chiropractic profession. So I will continue to do my research, my due diligence, and put together what hopefully will be a uh, useful podcast. 
Uh, but in the meantime, I love and appreciate everyone that's out there. Remember, organization is the answer. If we don't organize this profession, then these uh, sensationalized news stories will continue to tear apart our profession. These gurus will continue to tear, uh, target and uh, victimize doctors of chiropractic. Uh, because, but what we need to do is to organize the profession so we can protect and promote our profession. And only then will we start to be able to grow our profession. Because uh, right now we're shrinking and we're shrinking fast. And uh, it's, uh, it's a growing problem. So uh, spread the word. Talk to your friends. Talk to your colleagues. Talk to your uh, mentors. Talk to your leaders. Talk to, talk to anybody uh, about organizing the profession so that we can uh, grow the profession. We can protect the profession and ensure that it will perpetuate for generations to come. Thank you very much. Oh, look for us on Facebook, Cairo Union on Facebook, or you can also email CairoUnion at gmail.com. And if you look hard enough, you might even find our phone number, but I'd appreciate it if you all stuck to uh, email and text uh, or Facebook messages. Uh, and if you have some questions, comments, concerns, I'll be glad to talk to you. Uh, it's uh, you know, Union at gmail.com or on Facebook. All right. Adios.